All right, make sure you have the um, Trinity hymnal. Uh, open up to the Westminster Confession. You don't have to turn to a certain section, but at least have it ready to go. Uh, page 858 will get you close to where we need. Page 858 of the Westminster Confession. Get, let everyone get that ready to go. Let's see if we can advance this tonight and how far we can get. All right, let's review. All right, this morning, for the first hour, we started off by looking at uh, the Canons of Dort. Uh, we came to the Canons of Dort dealing with the assurance of election. Basically, the argument is made, the way you know that you're truly elect or truly saved is that there will be what, in their words, infallible fruit evident in one's life. All right? So this is that evidential idea. And this evidential idea, from a logical standpoint, creates kind of a, um, a, a, an odd, difficult doctrinal position to maintain any logical consistency. Let me explain. What the, the key teaching from the Protestant perspective is that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone. Right? That's the basic teaching, right? All right. So if you say, all right, where do I look for security? Where do I look for assurance of my salvation? There should be at least some level that you want to say I should look to Christ alone, right? However, that's not what we say. We say, I don't look to Christ alone. I look to what for assurance of my salvation? I look for the evidence of what? Infallible fruit, according to the canons of Dort. I look to where? Myself, right? And I look to myself and I'm like, okay, I have enough evidence that proves that I am saved, okay? That is the idea. And there's, and there's a problem because you get in, into kind of a circular reasoning, right? I'm, I say that I'm saved by grace alone through faith alone, but if I don't have enough works, then I, my faith is not the right kind, so therefore I'm not saved. So roundabout way, what is required for me to be saved? Works. Even though we say those works are the result of my salvation, I'm still saying that I need, I need them, all right? So this becomes a, a, you enter into a circular reasoning that is very hard to get out. Now, as long as you stay far back and just accept the answer on the surface, you think it looks okay, but the closer you get, the more difficult it becomes. So, so that created the problem, right? So then we went to Romans chapter 2, verse 6. And Romans chapter 2, verse 6 informs us that God judges us according to our deeds. Everybody want to look at Romans 2, 6 real quick, just to remind yourself of, of it? Romans 2, 6. Everybody there? Okay. And it says... Speaking of God, if you look back at verse 5, the last part, the revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds. So we started doing some cross-references on that, and we found that from the Old Testament all the way to the book of Revelation, over and over and over again, even spoken by Jesus himself, he seems to indicate that judgment will be based on what? Works. Those who do good get what? 
Those who do bad get damnation. That is taught from, from uh, Psalms. It's taught uh, in the New Testament and the Gospels. It seems to be taught by Paul in Romans 2.6. And it's taught by John in the book of Revelation, which describes a final judgment based upon everyone according to their works. Okay, so we, we drew some, um, we gave kind of two ideas that appear to be contradictory that we looked at. What were those two different ideas? The first one was we have passages that say we're, judged according to our works, yet the Bible says that we are not saved by our works. We're judged on our works, but we're not saved by our works. Also, we have another problem, right? We have verses who say that we are saved by, well, they don't say grace alone, but okay, we're saved by grace through faith, right? It's implied, we, we read it as alone, or that we believe it's implied, but we have a scripture in James that says, That we are not saved by faith only. Okay, remember that's the word it used in James, only. I want to use the correct language, okay? All right, so we have to try to reconcile what appears to be contradictions. Agreed? Okay, so I, I gave us some options on how to do this, right? And the first option we came up with was we just have to acknowledge this could be a contradiction, right? Now that goes against our presupposition, but we have to at least acknowledge this. Put it this way, if... If these contradictory ideas were not present, then we would not have 2,000 years of disagreement on it. Agreed? The fact that there's been 2,000 years of disagreement on it would seem to indicate that there's some very different uh, ideas there. Agreed? That, that, I think that, uh, we have to acknowledge that. The second thing we came up with, I threw this out there, um, is... That, um, well, I get, we, we looked at a lot of possible solutions, right? Okay, what were some of the other solutions that we threw out this morning? Some of the other possible solutions to these issues? Plum uh, contradiction. Okay, now that's the typical Protestant answer. Okay, you're not saved by works, but works prove that you're saved. And that raises what? Thousands of questions, right? Thousands of questions. Because um, now my works have to be so good that when I'm judged by my works, that my works will literally prove that I'm saved. So what works do you do that prove that you're saved versus your moral neighbor, right, who doesn't get drunk, who, who pays their taxes, goes to work? What makes you better than them? You've got to have some works to prove, I mean, because it's easy to say my works is better than the person in the jail cell this afternoon, right? But, but I mean, well, then even there we're looking at external versus internal. Like even, even there is even hard, but it's very hard to do that, all right? And then the third, oh, yeah, or more the Catholic view that somehow both are required. Okay, well, okay, well, that's when we started getting to our answers. We haven't said yet. All right, so those are some of our uh, possible views. So we, we ended this morning with going, okay, what are some possible answers here? Now, when we started looking at possible answers, we threw out again a possible contradiction, but we, we know that our presupposition doesn't allow that, all right? So therefore, we're kind of stuck, okay? 
So we can't really say that that's even a possibility, but we threw it out there because at least acknowledge it. The second one is, and I at least threw this out there, it doesn't resolve all the problems. Trust me, it doesn't even come close to resolving all the problems, but we have to at least acknowledge it. Is it possible that one of the reasons the Bible speaks of judgment according to works, yet we're saved by grace, is it possible that part of the confusion is the Bible teaches multiple judgments? Now, this is as, as divisive as the original problem. So we, we looked at it. So um, I, I have a couple of uh, different articles I told everyone to look at. When, you, when everyone looked this morning or this afternoon, uh, about how many judgments did you find? You found disagreement, did you not? Yes, okay, all right. And about how, what's the maximum number you found and what's the uh, smallest number you found? Okay, you found three, that's a small number, and you found seven, okay? Three to seven. Eight, oh, wow, okay. Okay, do what? Judgments. Okay, Larkin has five, Wilmington has eight, you found seven and three, okay? Um, so we have, we have a lot of, di- those, there's a lot, that means there's a lot of different numbers. And then, of course, we could go with the one. Very, very, now, yeah. Some of this will be semantics, and it's not that controversial. Some of them will be. There's no question. Some of this is just what, how, how, do you classify it as a judgment or not a judgment? Very, that's very true. Right. Now, okay, that's very true. Um, We won't focus on past judgments like judgment upon Adam and Eve, judgment upon the world with Noah. Those are sometimes considered judgments. Right, okay. And then then some will classify past judgments, present judgments, and the present judgments are what? Self-evaluation, church discipline, or chastisement. Right? Those are called present judgments. Okay? Almost all theologies acknowledge that. And then we have future. All right? Now, the future is where the numbers really matter, and this become, comes into play. All right. So I'm just going to throw out uh, some of these. You can tell me if, you're, if your list agree or disagree, or if they name it something different. All right? Future judgment number one. Judgments of the tribulation period. All right? And what uh, chapters would they point to for these? Revelation, Revelation probably chapter 6 to 10. All right. The, okay. Or tonight. Now, that comes into how you view the book of Revelation. Okay. Now, this is how this uh, one article describes this. The judgments of the tribulation period. These terrible judgments are pictured as seven seals opened seven trumpets blown, and seven bowls poured out. God's judgment against the wicked will leave no doubt as to his wrath against sin. Besides punishing sins, these judgments will have the effect, now this is their argument, of bringing the nation of Israel to repentance. Now whether that's true or not true, we don't have to get into that. Can we not agree that if the book of Revelation, unless we make those judgments in chapter 6 through, you've got to 19? Okay, I think, I think mine says actually 6 to 16. Okay, I said 6 to 10, 6 to 16. Um, when we get in there, what are some of the trumpets? You've got all kinds of things happening, right? You've got 
people dying all over the place. You got all kinds of horrible things. So your options with those chapters is to do a couple of things. Remember, what are your options with these chapters? They don't really mean what they say. They're allegories of things that either have already happened, but you don't have to explain how they've already happened. Okay. That's, that, that's, a good, that's great theology, right? These are historical events. I don't know how they happened, but they did. Okay. Or, there are future events, but they're allegorical, so they're not going to happen in a literal way. They're going to happen in an allegorical way, and I don't know how we're supposed to know when an allegory occurs. Okay? I, that's hard. Or, you have to take them as literal. If we take them as literal, I think we can all agree there are some judgments going on. Agreed? And what would those judgments be based off of? Could you agree that these judgments are based off the works? Would everyone agree? He's pouring out their wrath on them for their idolatry, all the different things that they have done. Agreed? I mean, I mean, is there any disagreement here? Okay. That would be a judgment on works. Agreed? Okay. No problem with that, right? Now, you have a problem if you don't believe that that's literal, literal and that it's allegorical. Then, then you've got a different problem. But if I do, that's at least one judgment based off people's works. Yes? Okay. Does it, does it resolve all the problems? No, not even close. But it at least acknowledges... One, all right? A second one. The judgment seat of Christ, okay? Or let's do this one. I call, instead of calling it the judgment seat of Christ, let's call this the judgment of believers. The judgment of believers. All right? Now, this is a big one, all right? Because we have now a judgment of those who believe. Now, how does this work? Everybody ready? I'm going to go through a lot of scriptures here. Uh, how many uh, in their list have a judgment of believers? Yes? Okay. Do they give you scriptures? Okay, let's see if we have the same scriptures, all right? 1 Corinthians chapter 3. All right. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And we're going to call it the judgment of believers. There's a, some call it by a different name. We'll see which names you have in your list here in a minute. All right. First Corinthians chapter three, verse 11. Everybody there? All right, are we ready? All right, here we go. Thinking caps on. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Christ, uh, which is Jesus Christ. Verse 12. Now, if any man build upon the foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Now, this is a judgment according to work, right? No one can deny that, right? Tribulation would have to be on works to some level, agreed. They reject, they're they're following the beast, whatever the case may be. Here is according to every man's Work. Everybody see it? If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so so as by fire. 
So even if the works don't last, the person is saved. But it's still a judgment according to works. Right? Know ye not that? Uh, well, I think that that gives you uh, the, the main passages there. Okay, there's another passage they want us to look. How many of your lists include this one? Second Corinthians five. All right, Second Corinthians. All right. So we ha- we have everyone has a different source, and we're having agreement on scriptures. That's 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 shocking. Okay. Second right. Corinthians chapter five. Does it uh, cover verse nine and ten? All right, and we get the same one. Let's look at it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. Wherefore, we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. All right, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. That's a judgment according to works. This is called the judgment seat of Christ. Right? Judgment seat. This is called judgment seat of Christ. How many of your lists call this the judgment seat of Christ? Okay. I have one that calls it the judgment, uh, judgment of believers, and I have another that calls it the judgment seat of Christ. So they would argue that the judgment seat of Christ is for whom? Believers, and what will be judged? Their works, but what will not be determined at this judgment? Heaven or hell? What will be determined? Reward or loss thereof. Right? Everybody see that? Okay. I'm going to read two articles about this. All right. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this because the key is just showing you that there can be a judgment according to works and it would make some sense, right? Okay. All right. Let's go with this. Um. Judgment seat of Christ, this is how this one reads. They refer to this as resurrected and raptured believers in heaven will be judged for their works. Now, of course, whether you believe in that eschatology, you have to believe in that eschatology somewhat if you believe in multiple judgments. If you don't believe in multiple judgments, then you don't. Okay, but that's a whole different argument, right? Um, So uh, believers in heaven will be judged for their works. Sin is not in view at this judgment as that was paid for by Christ, but only faithfulness and Christian service. Selfish works are done with wrong motives, will be burned up, wood, hay, and stubble. Works of lasting value to the Lord will survive, the gold, silver, and precious stones. Rewards, which the Bible calls crowns, will be given by the one who is not unjust. Um, He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him. All right? That's how one describes it. Another article, all right? The judgment of believers. The purpose of this judgment is for Christians, not the unsaved. The unsaved are not involved in this judgment. It is to examine the believer's service, not to determine his salvation. The believer is judged as a son and an heir. The foundation for this judgment, the foundation is Jesus Christ and the eternal riches of Calvary. While the believer can fall on this foundation, praise God, he cannot fall off. The element of this judgment, the fire, which shall try the believer's works, is the word of God. That's their argument, okay? 
fine. I, we, you know, we can argue with that all day. And then they go through uh, the nature of this judgment. The believer's judgment is not for punishment, but to manifest the character of his service for reward or loss thereof. It is like the judgment of an Olympic athlete or a worker on the job or a son in the family business. And then it continues on. All right, I'm not going to go through all of it because it gets to a lengthy doctrinal teaching on it. All right? So, if this judgment exists, what do we have? We have a judgment for believers on their, based on their works. Okay. It's for a word does that resolve all the problems? No, but it does, re- it does help me say I can be saved by grace alone, but I can still be judged by my works. Right? So far, so good. It's not perfect, but it at least allows some. All right? What's another judgment? The judgment of the nations. How many had this in their list? The judgment of the nations. Everyone should know where this one is found. We spent considerable time with this. Everybody remember? We spent about uh, six months on this passage. All right, it's in the New Testament. (laughs) There we go, Matthew chapter 25, right? Okay, Matthew chapter 25. All right, let me see if uh, they agree with you. Yes, Matthew 25, 31 to 46. Now, this is awesome because everyone's got different sources and we have agreement. Right? Whenever you see agreement, you should stop and go, ooh, agreement. How rare a creature is this, like finding a chupacabra, okay? Right? This is, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing, okay? Right? So, and and I'm, I'm not, that's not even really much sarcasm because there's so much disagreement, all right? Here we go, Matthew chapter 25. All right. This one, this one, man, whoo, we got a lot. I don't even want to get back through all of this one, but all right, here we go. Uh, okay, I got a different source here. They use Matthew 25, 31 to 46. So that's one, two. You've got one. That's three. You have two. Okay, that's four. Do you have, did they list? Okay. Oh, they went, went through 30? That's weird. Yeah, that has nothing to do with the judgment of the nations. That's weird that they would list that. Okay. I don't know. They, they. What? Oh, really? Okay, now, maybe if they. Okay. All right. Right, exactly. And I think there's a reason I think there's a there's a reason why. Okay, well let's look at thirty one and following because we can get all kinds of discussion here, but let's let's go. I just want you to see how much agreement there are on, on there. And yours ultimately agrees. Okay. So that means there's like we've got like six sources here that agree. All right. So that's that's good thi- that's a good thing. All right. All right. All right, here we go. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, he shall sit upon the throne of his glory. Whoa, wait. We have Jesus coming and sitting on a throne. What does that sound like? Millennial kingdom. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, he's sitting on a throne. Okay. But, it's, but again, according to some, this is not literal. This doesn't really happen. He's not really coming. He's not going to really sit on a throne. He's not going to really judge anybody. This all happens in the church. 
Oh, boy. Okay, here we go. Verse 32. And before him shall be gathered all nations. Did you know this is happening right now in our church? Did you know that? I didn't know all nations were present. Okay, here we go. And he shall separate them one from another, one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the, then the king say unto them on my right hand, Come ye, blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was and hungered, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer, saying, Lord, when saw we thee a hungered, and fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee drink? Now stop right here. What is this being based off of? Actions, works. Once again, we're right back to the concept. I mean, it's everywhere. I mean, I just, it's overwhelming how, that's how come when Protestants call into Catholic radio, they get destroyed. And Sarah can testify to that. I mean, they, they don't, do they end up looking really bad, don't they? It's embarrassing. Okay. And it's, and, 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 but Protestants always act like they don't know what they're talking about. When it comes to judgments by works, it's all over the place. It's all over the place. You've got to be prepared to deal with that kind of, of conversation. Let's see where else they go. When, when saw we thee a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? And the king uh, shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, as, as much as you have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, you have done it unto me. Now that's the key of the judgment. Who's his brethren? Who's he referring to? Right, that's the basic interpretation. He is referring that this judgment is going to be to the nations. The nations who treated Israel poorly, they're not going into the kingdom. They're not going into the kingdom. Those who treated Israel correctly go into the kingdom. All right? That's the judgment of the nations. All right? But once again, it's based off what? Works or deeds. Works or deeds, works or deeds. However you interpret... Now, if you don't interpret it as the judgment of the nations, even so it says all the nations were gathered, even if you say it's not the nations, then you've got to just make this a general judgment that... I don't know, I don't know how you put these all together into one. They become very complicated to put them all together in one, right? Because now you're like, okay, so I get to go to heaven if I did nice things to people. Well, if they if they remove that referring to Israel, then so that now so now I got to base how okay I saw hungry people and I fed them, right? Okay, and, and all, he names a number of things like uh, what's all the things he he goes through list list all the things he talks about them doing. Okay, so let's go through all the things that would be required for your salvation. You would have to be doing what? Number one, feeding the hungry. Number two, giving drink to the thirsty. Number three, taking in strangers. And strangers mean foreigners, right? You'd be opening your house to foreigners, right? Immigrants coming across the border, you'd be opening your door, opening, you know, taking care of them. All right, next. Clothing the naked, 
Visiting the sick. All right. Now, how, how are y'all doing this week on all those? <laughs> right. But I'm saying, if that's the basis of your salvation... How could you not? Yeah, his brethren. And it's judging nations, right? Right. You take it's a nation judgment. Nations based off what nations have done to these brothers. It's not about individuals. It's about what the nations have done. Right. 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 Not the true. Yeah, it's separating them from the Israel. Right. No. True. Okay. Okay. As far as what? Right. Yeah. I mean, the Gentile nations. Right. Right. Right, I mean, Gentile nations. I mean, because the Gentile nations are always separated from Israel when you read the Old Testament over and over and over and over. Like, it'll list, like, all these Gentile nations, right? And, like, hey, these, these things are going to happen to them. But either case, it's a judgment according to what? To works. Agreed? All right, good deeds. All right? Now, are we finding a consistent pattern? Yes. We're finding, a cons- we're finding a consistent pattern, all right? What's the next one everyone has? What's another one everyone has? Okay. Do you have anyone other than the great white throne? What else do you have? Okay. Okay, all right. Right, okay. Okay, we've covered that. Okay. 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 All right. What else? Nations. Great White Throne. Okay. All right. We. Uh, anybody else have others? Okay. And what does he have? Okay. 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 There we go. All right. So we'll we'll throw uh, the next one. We'll put down is judgment of angelic beings. Okay, judgment of angelic beings. Now, this would include um, all kinds of different things, right? Okay, I will. I'll give you. Um, see what else do we have here? Um, yeah. Okay. Well, um, what scripture do they give for the judge, judgment of angelic beings? Okay, that's what I thought. Okay. Okay, let's let's look at these scriptures real quick. First Corinthians chapter six. Okay. Verse 
Now, this one doesn't give us a lot of help. I was hoping for other ones, but we'll quote this one since it's the most famous. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. <clears throat> we'll go to verse 1. Dare any of you have a matter against uh, another go to the law before the unjust and not before the saints? Right? He's asking a question, hey, as Christians, why would you go to the law against one another and not take care of your problems with each other? It's not the right thing to do. And why should Christians not be going to the law to fix our problems with each other? Do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Now, how we're going to participate in the judgment of the world, I don't know, but that clearly separates us from, that separates us from the judgment of the world, right? So that almost makes an argument for a different judgment for us, okay? Verse 3, know ye not that we shall judge angels. That clearly seems to imply angels will be judged. All right, where does that judgment occur? What's the next passage you had? 2 Peter 2, 4. Second Peter 2, 4, everybody there? This is a very controversial passage. Some people connect to Genesis. Um, we can get into a whole discussion here. But if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. There are some angels that are in chains waiting for the day of judgment. Now, what is this going to be based off of? What they did. It's going to be based off works. Now, it doesn't really have anything to do with us, but it's continuing the, the, the theme of judgment. And then there was one more. You said Jude. All right. Uh, Jude 6. Everybody there? All right. And the angels which kept not their first estate. Again, some believe that's back in Genesis. Okay, we can get into a whole discussion there. Not everyone agrees with that. But left their own habitation. He, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under, under darkness unto the... Right, so the angels are ultimately going to be judged. Again, what are they going to be judged off of? Their works, what they did. All right. Same concept is present. All right. And then we know the... The last judgment is sometimes referred to as the great white throne. We know where that one is. You can go ahead and look at it. Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. Verses 11 through 15. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great stand before God and the books were opened and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of these things which were written in the books according to their works. Again, according to what? Their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Whoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. It's a judgment according to works. So, if we have multiple judgments, 
And all the multiple judgments are based off works, correct? Which all of them are, right? Did we find one that wasn't? No, all of them are judgment, uh, judgments according to works. Then it, we could argue that judgment is according to works. However, based on the judgment, the judgment of the works has a different purpose. Judging of the work of the unbeliever, because their works condemn them, all of our works would condemn them, right? Condemn us, I should say, right? Therefore, that makes perfect sense. We don't have to explain that, right? They have no forgiveness. Their, their sins are not covered. So that that's perfectly makes sense. Judgment against the nations, all right? These are Gentile nations. This is determining millennial privileges, it seems, if we go with that. All right, that makes sense. That's a judgment according to works. Judgment of the believer's works makes sense as long as we say it's based off what? Determining reward and not determining... Because Corinthians seems to say the wor- our works can be judged and all of the works can burn up. All of them. And yet we're still saved. That determines the salvation are not based off what? The works. That's not perfect because there's still problems. But it gets me at least close going, okay, I can understand. Judgment according to works, but there's different judgments and those works are judged different reasons for different purposes. Does that make some sense? Yes? All right, put put it this way. That one is at least hermeneutically sound because it argues that, hey, every judgment is according to works. No one can argue that they're not. Every judgment we read was a judgment according to works. So, therefore, we are accounting for that. We're just acknowledging that these different judgments don't seem to make sense as being the same one. Agreed? All right. Therefore, we separate them, and now we have at least a a starting point. Does it solve all the problems? Now, if you go with one judgment, then you just, you will... Whatever that final judgment is, it's a judgment according to works. Okay, it's a judgment according to works. And then you've got to work out how... Well, obviously the Matthew 25 one doesn't seem to work at all because that can't be heaven or hell because it's referring to the nations and the kingdom. I mean, like, like that doesn't even... That, that, that would create all kinds of problems. So you have to try to resolve all of that. Okay, so there's one option. All right, second option. Or first option was possible contradiction. Second option is the judgment of works at least gives us... It doesn't answer all the questions. It gives me something to hold on to, right? Hey, I'm going to be judged according to my works. But, even if my works all burn up, still going to be saved, right? Remember, as that one uh, article says, the foundation of that judgment is, is Jesus Christ, and I may fall on to that foundation, but I cannot fall off of that foundation. Because my, as, was it Larkin or Wilmington? who placed a, the judgment of our sins on Christ on the cross? Larkin. And that's, what, that's a typical way. My sins were judged. So obviously I can't be involved in a judgment dealing with my sins if I, be, if, if I truly believe they were judged there. Right. If there's therefore now no condemnation, then I can't be condemned. So whatever works, I, but I have to account for my works being judged. That's why there's a separate judgment. But the, now all millennialists say, no, all just one judgment. 
Okay, well, <laughs> how does that work? Okay. Because even if it's all at one time, it still has to be separate judgments, right? Okay, I got different things going. All right, so that's one. Okay, so that's that one. That doesn't resolve everything, but that's that's one. Now we go to the third, third, third option. Now the third option is going to take us to the Westminster Confession of Faith or the London Baptist Confession of Faith, whichever one you have handy. All right, let's see how they dealt with it. All right, I'm going to be reading from an electronic version of the LBC. London Baptist Confession, 1689. I believe it's 1689. So if there's a massive difference, let me know. Go to, um, do you have a chapter on the perseverance of the saints? All right, everybody see that? All right, if I start reading it and it's like night and day different, let me know and then I'll grab the Westminster and read it, okay? But, you know, here we go. Uh, The perseverance of the saints. uh, Tell me when everyone is there. All right, here we go. Those whom God hath accepted in the beloved. So all of us start the same? Pretty much? Close enough? All right. Those whom God hath accepted in the beloved, effectually called and sanctified by his spirit and given the precious faith of his elect unto, can neither totally nor finally fall from the state of grace, but shall certainly preserve therein to the end and be eternally saved seeing the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. All right, and I'll stop right there. That's an important verse when it comes to eschatology, because if God called and gave gifts to Israel, he cannot what? Take them away. If he can take them away from them, he can take them away from us. All right? And that's, that's, that's a major issue here. Remember, um, that's what... Um, that's why MacArthur argues against amillennialism. He goes because he goes if, you, if I if I'm going to be an amillennialist, I'm not going to believe in election because amillennialism would prove that election is not eternal. God can change His mind. Hey, I chose Israel, but I didn't really mean it. <laughs> I didn't really mean it. You know, psych. Okay, so that's that's MacArthur's, and I agree with that's that's lo- that's logically sound. That's logically sound. But okay. Right? seeing that gifts and callings of God are without repentance. Whence, whence he still begets and nourisheth in them faith, repentance, love, joy, hope, and all the graces of the Spirit unto immortality and through many storms and floods and, read this again, love, hope, graces of the Spirit unto immortality and though many storms and floods arise and beat against them, Yet they shall never be able to take them off that foundation and rock which by faith they are fastened upon. Notwithstanding, though through unbelief and the temptation of Satan, the uh, the sensible sight of the light and love of God may for a time be clouded and obscured from them. Stop right there. This is very important. What are they arguing? We are saved because of what God has done, right? We are secure. We cannot be removed from it. However, what can happen? Yeah, through unbelief and the temptations of Satan, the sensible sight of the light and love of God may for a time be clouded and obscured from them. Yet, He is still the same, and they shall be sure to be kept by the power of God unto salvation, 
where they shall enjoy their purchased possession, they being engraven upon the palms of his hands, and their names have been written in the book of life from all eternity. So they even acknowledge that there can be a period of time where something doesn't look right. Now, you've got to take this into account, because remember, we're trying to understand all of this. Now, if I'm going to say I'm going to judge you based off evidence, I have to acknowledge there could be a time. Doesn't look right. I have to at least account for that, right? Okay. Right, yeah, obviously. Uh, Next, uh, number two. This perseverance of the saints depends not upon their own free will, but upon the immutability of the decree of election, flowing from the free and unchangeable love of God the Father upon the efficacy of the merit and intercession of Jesus Christ and union with Him, the oath of God, the abiding of His Spirit, and the seed of God within them, and the nature of the covenant of grace, from all which ariseth also the certainty and infallibility thereof. Now there's a lot right there. If we break that down, what's it simply saying? My assurance is based off what? Not even on my will. It's the immutability of the decree of election flowing from the free and unchangeable love of God, the Father upon the efficacy of the merit and intercession of Jesus Christ and union with Him. The oath of God, the abiding of His Spirit and the seed of God within them and the nature of the covenant of grace. From from all which ariseth also the certainty and infallibility thereof. That takes it away from me at all. Now, this is, this is where it gets so wishy-washy, especially with many Reformed people. Because on this side, they're, they're, they're leading me to, to look to what for my assurance? No, at this, in this statement, they're looking for me to look to what? Christ. It's all Him. Right? Nothing about my works. Right? But continue in, ver- in paragraph 3. And though... They may, through the temptation of Satan and of the world, the prevalency of corruption remaining in them, and the neglect of means of their preservation, fall into grievous sins. And for a time, continue therein, and whereby they incur God's displeasure and grieve His Holy Spirit. Now stop right there. Now even here we play wishy-washy games. We all know, you can li- we have our venial immortal list, right? You can live in venial sin, a million of them, and you're ne- you never get in trouble. No one's going to rebuke you. No one's going to challenge you. No one's going to confront you. You're a good little Christian. Oh, but if you step over that line and commit the mortal one, now it's time for confrontation. It's time for rebuke. And it may be even time to question your salvation. It may be even time to question if you even should be able to do this or do that or do this. Right? Now, we don't do that to David. We don't say, well, David should be disqualified. He, we, would, we would disqualify him from everything, but yet we use his writings to preach. <laughs> we, we would disqualify Solomon a hundred times, yet we use his words to preach. He couldn't preach them. <laughs> we like, Solomon, you can't preach, but we'll take your writings and we'll preach them. <laughs> okay, that, you're not qu- it's, it's because he committed the mortal kind. All the now everyone sitting in the pew will be like, I don't know what's wrong with them. I don't know what's wrong with their Christianity. I don't know. I don't know why. 
Well, yeah, how about all your, your venial sin somehow is excused? Right? But if this is the case, we have to acknowledge that even a Christian can fall into, I mean, how do they describe it? Grievous sins and can, and can continue therein uh, and for a time. How long is a time? Is it 30 minutes? Is it now? How long did David stay in sin until he was confronted? I mean, like, how, how long is the time? I, I don't know. All right? Um, uh, come to their graces and comforts and pay. Okay, let me read back here. Okay, they, so they can occur God's displeasure, grievous Holy Spirit, come to have their graces and comforts impaired, have their hearts hardened and their conscience wounded hurt and scandalize others and bring temporal judgments upon themselves, yet shall they renew their repentance and be preserved through faith in Jesus Christ to the end. Now, the only thing that would be here is a person would have to come come back. They would have to come back. That's made clear here, right? They would have to be renewed to repentance. So, that doesn't tell you, though, how long they could remain in an impaired state where the hearts are hardened and their conscience is seared, but they would have to come back. Now, how do you, how do you handle the person in the time that they're like this? Oh, it doesn't. Okay. Is there another paragraph? Okay. Ah. So, do we have a difference of opinions? The Baptist wanted to add... Make, they added a little bit more to come back. So there could be, I, I, would, I think that there, you, I would agree with the LBC here and disagree with the Westminster. I think they have to come back. If they don't come back, then you're literally, then you have people who, you, you know, anyone who's ever made a profession of faith, you would have to claim a save no matter how they're living. Yeah, right. So, yeah, I, I have a hard time with that one. I have a hard time with that one. But, again, we're, 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 we're showing that there's even disagreements here. Even among the reform people, there's disagreements. And there is disagreement, but also we have to go back to who did the work. And if he really did the work, even if they fall away and they never see them come back, does that mean that God didn't do the work? Right. But, we, right. but we, then we have to argue, if he did the work, shouldn't it show? I mean, like, it comes back to Right, they can fall away. Right. Now, it just depends on which one you go with. If you go with Westminster, I, I, I disagree with the Westminster. I would go with the LBC. But here's the thing. I want to make this very clear. Okay. So, so this is, the, and, I'm, and I'm using this because they're getting ready to go into another paragraph, right? That I think in some ways contradicts this. All right. So here's what we need to do. If we argue that your assurance is based off your works, Remember, that's what the canons of Dort argued, right? This paragraph argues, therefore, that there could be times that that would be impossible. Agreed? And not only that, if you argue that your assurance is based off your works, we all know the game everyone in this room is going to play. 9,000 venial sins... You don't care. 
You're not weeping over them. You're not broken over them. You don't care. No one's going to confront you. There's not going to be any church discipline. There's no scandal. Because venial sins are A-OK. But if you cross the line... So as long as you don't... So then you just create your list of the mortal sins. And like, as long as I don't go there... And everyone else will say, you're safe. No matter how many venial sins are present. I, I hate that game. I hate that game. But it's, that's what it is. Here's the list. Don't commit this. It's, it's like, it's Catholicism. Oh, you've committed, the, the, you've committed a mortal one. You've lost. You're no longer in a state of grace. At least Catholicism gives you a way to get back into a state of grace, Right? At least they give you penance and uh, uh, there's something you can do. Uh, and, the, and, the, and the Christian world, you're just done. You're marked. Okay? You're done. You're finished. Okay? Like, I don't know what the answer is there. But So here's the thing. If we look to our works, we have to account for this, that our works will not always prove that we're saved. And if I start looking to my works... I have to be careful of what danger? Creating a list of works that works for me. <laughs> right? Hey, um, I'm not getting an abortion. I'm not selling drugs. I'm not doing... Okay, I'm good. But all the other things are okay. Right? Correct? A, a, um, a wife not submitting to her husband. Is that a mortal sin? No, no woman's ever going to get church discipline for that. A husband not loving uh, his wife as Christ loves the church? Is that a mortal sin? No, it's not a moral. No. Is he ever going to see anyone get disciplined for that? No, right? I can go gluttony? Covetousness? Pride? I mean, I can go all day on. All day on. But now there's some that will say, oh, that, that, see, now, now we're, we're basing it off works, but we're creating our own list of which works justify. Yeah, we're judging the list. Yeah, we're, we're creating the list and we're judging the list. And we're like, oh, see, I'm good to go. I'm good to go. Oh, oh Bobby. Okay. Bobby, hey, you're, if we go back to Romans 2, he calls this whole concept into question because our judgment is what? Flawed. So see, I'm already having some, some issues. Oh, man, okay. We're about out of time. Let's just at least read the next paragraph. Chapter 8, uh, London, uh, Westminster, or London Baptist, okay, wherever, whatever you're reading. Chapter, uh, what chapter is it? 18, okay. All right, same. What's it called? All right, here's their answer. Remember, we're trying to find answers, right? We're trying to find answers. All right, here we go. Although temporary believers... Please know what that's called. Although, temporary believers, they would classify them as being what? Unbelievers, not truly saved, right? And other unregenerate men may vainly deceive themselves with false hopes and carnal presumptions of being in the favor of God and state of salvation, which hope of theirs shall perish. Yet such as truly believe in the Lord Jesus and love him in sincerity endeavoring to walk in all good conscience before him, may in this life be certainly 
assured that they are in the state of grace and may rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, which hope shall never make them ashamed. Now, right there, they're arguing that it is possible for you to have what? Assurance. Now, wait, the previous chapter just said, I may for a time... Well, then, like, how do I have assurance then? Now, we could argue that assurance is only for people who aren't living like that. But then you've got to... Def- yeah, then you've got to, like, how does, that, how does that look? Now, I do agree. I agree. If someone is living in open, blatant sin, but then again, like, we're all living in open, blatant sin. So, how... But again, we, 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 create a, we create a list. It's, what we say is, if I, I'm not walking in mortal sin, then I can have assurance. If I'm walking in venial sin, or if I'm walking in mortal sin, I can't have assurance. If I'm walking in venial sin, I can. Who, that's such a game. It's just a, a messed up game. Right? Let's go to the next uh, paragraph. This certainty is not a bare conjectural or probable persuasion grounded upon a fallible hope. All right, this certainty is not based on a fallible hope. Now, this, this is borrowing language. It sounds like it comes from the canons of, of Dort, which says we have infallible something. But an infallible assurance of faith founded on the blood and righteousness of Christ revealed in the gospel. Now there sounds good. My assurance is based off what? That sounds good, doesn't it? And also upon the inward evidence of those graces of the Spirit unto which promises are made and on the testimony of the Spirit of adoption, witnessing with our spirits that we are the children of God and as a fruit thereof, keeping the heart both humble and holy. Okay. Similar, is there any major difference? Okay. Okay. But clearly the assurance they are arguing comes from something outside of something. They also claim there's an inward testimony of it. But see, you know how crazy that one can be? There are people who haven't been to church in 37 years, haven't touched a Bible, will say, I know I'm saved. I know I'm saved. Is that the N word? And you and know what your argument will be? That, that's not God telling you that. Okay, well then what is it? Did it come from inside of them? We would say they're deceived. Who gets to make that determination? I hate inward witness. I hate inward witness because everyone testifies. Everyone, hey, I'm saved. Okay, well, all right. Well, I can't argue with you. It's an inward witness. Okay, like how do I judge that? All right, paragraph three. This infallible assurance doth not so belong to the essence of faith, but that a true believer may wait long and conflict with many difficulties before he be partaker of it. Yet being enabled by the Spirit to know the things which are freely given him of God, 
He may without extraordinary revelation and the right use of means attain thereunto, and therefore it is the duty of everyone to give all diligence to make his calling and election sure, that thereby his heart may be enlarged in peace and joy and the Holy Spirit and love and thankfulness to God and in the strength and cheerfulness and the duties of obedience, the proper fruits of this assurance, so far as it from inclining men to looseness. In other words, your job to figure out if you're saved. It's your job to figure it out. Okay? And we'll have to stop there because we we'll, won't we'll be able to go any further. All right, so let's summarize. Everybody ready? All right. We have this tension in the scriptures. You're judged according to works, but you're not saved by your works. Hey, you're saved by grace alone. Wait, you're not saved by grace alone. Right? We got these, these apparent struggles and we got to figure these out. So what have we tried to do? The first thing we've ar- ar- argued is there is at least a biblical explanation of how you can be judged by works and still be ju- saved by grace. And what is the explanation for that? Different judgments. All judgments are according to works. Judgment of a lost person according to works makes perfect sense, does it not? All right, their works are not covered. Our judgment according to works makes sense if we say our judgment according to works is based on what? Rewards, not salvation. Then I can have a judgment according to works and still be saved, right? Does that make sense? However, we have to still try to figure out what... What is our assurance based off of? Remember, that's the thing that led to all this question. So far, the London Baptist and Westminster Confession of Faith, what are they arguing? What have they argued so far? They've argued that our salvation is what? Eternally secure. However, what do they also acknowledge? That we could fall away for a period of time. All right? Uh, London Baptist clearly says there'll be a coming back. If you go with Westminster, you don't even have the coming back. So there's even a disagreement there, okay? That immediately makes it what? It's going to make it difficult in how to judge, like to get assurance based off what I do, it's going to be very difficult if I can be falling away. Does everybody agree? All right. Now, um, also the Westminster and the London Baptist faith also makes another argument, seems to make the indication that this, uh, understanding of salvation, not only is it based off what Christ did, it also comes to an internal witness. We see all the problems with that one, right? So everyone, you know people here, doesn't go to church, haven't been to church, haven't touched the Bible, but they'll tell you they're what? They're good with God. Well, what, what's giving them that, that security? What's giving them that security? Don't know. Right? I don't like the internal witness stuff because everyone can claim it. Like, I, I hate that. I hate that. I hate that. that that's, that's the most subjective thing I've ever heard in my life. Like, there's no way to even judge that. Because, right? I mean, everyone can just say, I feel, I feel good. I, I, I don't know how that works. Okay. All right. What else does the London Baptist Confession of Faith seem to indicate? One last thing. Well, we haven't got to them saying that specifically. They make this claim. It's your responsibility 
to know. It's your job to figure it out. You have to make your calling and election sure. It's your responsibility. You have to make your calling and election sure. I can't do it for you. You have to do it. Now, this calls into question. Now, again, I even have trouble here because Romans 2 calls into my ability to judge. We already talked about all the reasons why our judgments are flawed. Everybody remember all of those? Right? We have wrong what? Wrong thinking. And wrong feeling. Our emotions are wrong. Our thinking is wrong. Our sight is wrong. So if we can't judge correctly, then how does that work? I don't know. Unless we say that we do have the ability to judge correctly. Right. Now that is true. They have not. You have to keep it on the personal. You have to. That's why I've always said from the entire beginning of this church, I've always said I can never say anyone is saved or unsaved. I've said that a million times. I would never tell my kids if they were or if they were not. Never going to. I'm not going to tell anyone that because I can't know. Right? They're the, it's their responsibility to know. Whether, whether we can or not, is, is I, I even dispute if we can know. Okay? I even dispute if I can truly know. But I know I can, I can look to certain things. Right? I mean, if I'm honest with myself, the question is, am I ever truly honest with myself? Okay? I don't know. Because, because what we have a tendency to do, how do I know that I'm saved? Because we have my list of mortal and venial. As long as I stay out of that mortal side, I feel, man, woo, I feel good. I'm ready. I'm ready to rebuke everybody. Right? Okay, I'm ready. I'm, I'm ready to confront you because I don't do that garbage you do. And there could be a million things you do and you feel perfectly... I, how does it work? But that's what... It always turns into that, does it not? I mean, we all know. We have all played the game. We know that there are sins that if we commit, everyone's going to be like, oh, stone the heathen. Stone the heathen. I'm going to go home and commit all my venial sins. Okay? But you stay away from me. And we can commit venial all day. Every day. All day. And nobody cares. And, that, and that's just the reality of Christianity. To say that that's not a reality is a lie. Right? I, how many scriptures do we have? Meditate on God's word day and night. Right? God's word should be more important to you than food. God's word should be more important to you than material possessions. Read it. Meditate on it. Eat upon it. Nobody rarely lives that out even close in their life. Does, I never have people calling me going, this week I didn't spend enough time in the Bible. What am I going to do, Pastor? I need to confess it. <laughs> Nobody cares. They're not even convicted by it. Right? Why? Doesn't make the mortal list. And, and we've seen, even with qualifications of the pastor, what makes the, what makes the We have things that make the list of disqualifications that's not even listed, that's not even listed in 1 Timothy 3. And the things that are listed in 1 Timothy 3, no one's ever been disciplined for. How does that work? Right? So, we, we, can we agree that lists are very difficult? I will argue that the only way I know that I'm saved, this is... From a, from a Protestant perspective, now from a Catholic perspective, it's more complicated, but from a Protestant perspective, here's my 
basic answer at this point. The only way I know I'm saved is because of what Christ did. Period. If I look to anything other than that, I'm going to end up a Catholic. I'm going to end up trying to, I'm going to have to come up with a complicated system to determine, okay, this many works gets me into heaven, this many works does, doesn't get, these works, and that's, that's a convoluted system. Right? And I do believe that there's a judgment according to works, even for believers, which makes perfect sense. All right? Now, I still want you to read the rest of that section in the London Baptist and Westminster. So read that this week. Think about it. Because they are going to go to somehow looking for, you know, looking to your works. How does, that, how does that work? How does that work? Does that make sense? All right? So we, we, we and we've got to see how Paul handles being judged according to our deeds. We've still got to work on that too, but we, we, we've got a lot to go with that as well. All right, we'll stop right there. Lord God, we come before you this evening. Lord, we did not resolve all the problems, but we definitely have dug into the scriptures and tried our best to find a biblical solution. I pray that with all of these questions, we will not um, be slack in, in make, making sure of our calling and election. Um, that's the only thing we can really worry about is ourselves. We cannot in any way, shape, or form try to figure it out for other people. But I pray that you would uh, give us a desire and a godly sorrow when we commit sin, whether mortal or venial in our list, that we would see all sin as uh, a rebellion against you and be convicted by that. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said. The podcast you just heard was made using Anchor. Ever thought about making your own podcast? Anchor makes it really easy for anyone to get started. It's a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing podcasts. Best of all, it's 100% free. Sign up now at anchor.fm slash new. That's anchor.fm slash new to get started.